0: Well, good morning. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Energy Alliance Church. Welcome here this morning. Now, I'm not sure how many of you were here last Sunday, but it, uh, it was an amazing morning here. Yes. We had David Hearn here, who's the pres- president of our Alliance denomination, and he came and he spoke on renewal, and he challenged us to take the plunge into the river that brings life, life full of the Holy Spirit. And it's it is this river that actually breathes life into your dry bones. And David challenged us last week with his question, and he said, how deep are you? How deep are you? And it's the same challenge I'm giving you today. How deep are you in the river? And if you're not in the river, you have got to ask yourself, why am I standing on the banks of the river? Why am I not in the river? I'm ankle deep or waist deep, but why am I satisfied with that? Friends, as David Hearn challenged us last week, like I just said, I'm challenging you today to take the plunge and bury yourself in the river. Bury yourself in the river. I'm actually, I'm going to declare right now, river of the living God, would you break open prison doors of souls in this place and set captives free? Break open the dams that we've put up over this church and over Airdrie and over this region that have inhibited the flow of your holy spirit dams of a religious spirit dams of judgment dams of fear out of pride and dams of a spirit of unbelief all of which has stifled the flow of your holy spirit forgive us lord Your word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and so we declare as those dams come crumbling down right now, and in these days, we declare spiritual freedom and spiritual abundance in Jesus' name. Last week was really good. Um, It was excellent. If you haven't heard it, I challenge you to listen to it online uh, or watch the video online as well. It is really good, and it will change you. It is well worth it. You know, sometimes it seems like we have these incredibly great Sundays or or these great events. And we encounter God in in amazingly deep and profound ways. The Spirit's moving and people are being healed. And and it's like we're having this great experience together as a church. And and we're way up here on the I feel awesome scale. And then we move into our week. Sunday's over. We move into our week and, and life happens. And sometimes things tend to change a bit. You know, life takes us from extreme highs to to incredibly deep and dark lows, sometimes faster than we can blink, so it would seem. Life can take us from amazing mountaintop experiences to unbelievably dark valleys in what seems like an instant. And we can get rocked emotionally and spiritually and, and physically, too. Now I, I am in no way anticipating that we're going to hit a big low this morning or, or prophetically declaring that as a church or in the coming days we're going to experience deep lows because of an amazing experience we had last week. But I do want us to understand that in the course of our lives, in the course of time, we inevitably go from these pinnacle mountaintop moments where we have no worries and there's no pain, <clears throat> everything seems like triumph. Times where we feel like we could conquer the world. Maybe we, we do things we didn't think were possible. We feel God's favor. We, we, we feel incredibly close to Jesus and, and the Father and Holy Spirit. And, and we're soaking in His presence. And, and it's just blissful being in the Father's presence. And it seems like everything we put our hands to brings success. And then there are those periods... Where those heavenly times and and wonderful experiences and closeness with God seem like they're fading away and they're going down with the setting sun as you look in life's rear view mirror, wondering what's happening as the darkness in your life begins to weigh you down. You can't make sense of life. It seems like your world's falling apart. It, it, It feels like the pressures of life circumstances are closing in on you and they're getting heavier and heavier. And you're wondering, where's God in all this mess? You're wondering if you can take it anymore. And perhaps you're wondering if God actually cares about what you're going through. Maybe you've been stripped of all your securities and doesn't seem to be much left. And I know that there's some of you in this room who are feeling this today. You've been going through this for quite some time and, and, and it feels like you're in this dark pit. You, you just can't get out. Just kind of hovering over you. Now I wonder if the hardest part about this is that there doesn't seem to be any reason or rhyme or reason for why it's happening in your life. Now don't hear me wrong. Sometimes we put ourselves into tough and, and dark circumstances in life because of the sin that we're not turning from. But then there are other times where we hit life's trials, and it actually has nothing to do with sin. And we can't figure out what's happening, but it's happening. And one of the things that the enemy tries to implant into our minds during these dark dark moments is that we're the only ones walking through it. That's a lie. Don't believe that. Let me speak to all of you right now who are experiencing those dark moments in your life. You are not alone. All of us go through these experiences, and if you haven't yet, you will. And I want to tell you something. Just hear me clearly. Your Father in heaven loves you more than your wildest dreams can imagine. He's closer to you right now in the midst of this storm than you could possibly dream of. And he's actually chasing you because of his love for you. He's running after you. He's created you for greatness. And in order for you to walk in that greatness, he's designed you for. You need to walk through this trial that you're currently going through because sometimes, sometimes the deepest work of God done in you and done in me is is during the hardest moments of our lives hear this. God is shaping you in the darkest moments. He's refining you. He's molding you. He's drawing you closer to Him in your darkest and deepest moments, loneliest moments of your life. We're in the middle of an amazing teaching series right now called The Pursuit. And it's where we're digging into the life of David in the Old Testament for Samuel And uh, if you actually want to turn to 1 Samuel 22 right now and stick your finger in there, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, But we've been going through the life of David. And and I got to tell you, from what I've seen so far, David's had a pretty good life. Things have been going pretty good for David. But just like you and I experience great highs and cavernous lows in our lives, David too experienced extreme highs and deathly deep lows. And this morning, I, I want to take us to, into the lowest place of David's life to date in his story that we've seen so far and, and see how God actually shaped David in his darkest moments. So let's do a quick flyover of what's happened so far, what we've studied so far in the life of David. We, we started off learning about David in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, where he was the youngest of eight children, who was anointed at the ripe old age of 15 to be king of Israel. Then we learn that this shepherd boy had killed lions and bears and this nine-foot giant. His favorite with God was moving more and more from the king Saul to David, this young new kid on the block. David was a great military leader and he was a a hero of the army. He was given the king's daughter for slaying the giant. He had formed a deep relationship, a soul bond with, with Jonathan, the king's son. I'd say that life was going pretty good for David. But things began to change for David. Because of his fame and and his military success and favor that he was gaining with the Lord, his life became increasingly in danger from Saul, whose jealousy grew to the point of nearly killing David on a couple occasions with a spear. David could no longer stick around the camp For fear of his own life, so he skipped town and ran away from Saul. And the pursuit of a jealous predator king is on to hunt down and kill the young and inexperienced boy who would eventually take his place on the throne. As a result of fleeing the camp, David loses his high position in the army. His wife walks away from him. He eventually loses his closest friend, Jonathan. And while he's on the run looking for a safe place to hide, he thinks to himself, I'm going to go find Samuel. You know that prophet guy who anointed me king of Israel? Surely I'll be okay with Samuel. So he runs and he finds Samuel and, and they go and seek refuge in another town. But no sooner did they arrive than an informant lets Saul know where David was. So he's like, come on. So David got up and he ran again. And in the process, loses his emotional support and confidant and, and Samuel. Things are not going well for David. But it gets worse. <laughs> in David's attempt to seek refuge from Saul, he ends up going to Gath and looks for the king. Well, what, what's Gath? See, Gath is the place of the giants. Gath is none other than the headquarters of the Philistine army of where Goliath had lived. And David came in looking for the king? It's nuts. See, Goliath was the champion whom David had killed and cut off his head. And now he was looking for an audience with Goliath's king. That's crazy. I I think David actually had lost it at this point. And as the people started recognizing David and Gath, David does something strange. You know what he decides to do? If you want to look it up, it's 1 Samuel 21:13. It says, David became afraid. And it says, he pretended to be insane. Acted like a madman and let saliva run down his beard. What a humiliating experience. Then after this this episode that he had, he, he escapes and runs into a cave. See, David went from the high places of the king to rock bottom pretending to be insane, saliva dripping down his beard, scratching at the gate and acting like a madman. What was once a courageous and and mighty warrior has turned into a man fearing for his life and faking his way as a lunatic, losing all self-respect in the process. The next scene is where we enter our text for today. We find David in a cave. I can remember when I was in my early t- preteens, 11 and 12 years old, my best friend and I were, were explorers, and we loved to explore caves, and he lived in an area where uh, there were lots of mountains and, and caves and old mine shafts, and so him and I would go and explore these caves. Now, some of these caves were actually not for the claustrophobic at heart, that's for sure. They were tight, uh, but I can remember going into one of these caves, and, and, and the deeper into the cave I got, obviously, it got darker and darker you could see less light from the entrance, and it got dimmer and dimmer until finally it was completely dark. I can remember vividly how I felt in those moments, and my friend and I said, okay, let's shut these flashlights off, see what happens. And then we said, don't drop the flashlight. That'll be awful. Good luck finding that thing. So we shut the flashlights off, and and for a few moments, we're like, whoa, this is awesome. We can't see anything. I can't even see the hand this close to my face. But after a few moments my other senses began to take over. I couldn't see anything. It started to smell really earthy, and it felt damp and cold, and it was so dark that I, it, I actually felt like the darkness was getting heavier and heavier. It felt like the walls were closing in on me. It was a battle not to panic, so telling my brain just to relax. It's okay, the walls aren't closing in, but it, it was hard. Thankfully, I didn't panic, but in those, in those brief moments, I could feel the weight of the darkness. And it felt like the walls really were getting closer and closer. So we quickly turned the flashlights back on and praised Jesus that the batteries didn't run out. And we got out of the cave. But thinking about those cave experiences got me thinking about, a little bit about David and what was life like in the cave of Adullam. What was going on in his mind in those days? He had finally found a place that was safe, where he could catch catch his breath, get a little breather. But as he began to sit down and catch his breath and and kind of settle down a bit, his reality began to to, um, face him. He was faced with this reality of what was unfolding before his eyes. He was faced with the lowest moment of his life. He had no friends, he had no food, No security, he had no family, he was all alone. No one to talk to, no one cheering him on. No one singing about his successes as we read about earlier. He had no confidant. I imagine that he probably felt abandoned, maybe disoriented, confused. I mean, come on, he was anointed king of Israel and now he's a fugitive on the run? What's going on? It was like all the walls of his dark world... His cave world were coming in and crumbling on him. I can picture him sitting in a corner, finding a rock and sitting down and putting his head between his knees and just saying, ah, I don't get it. I don't get it. Everything is gone. I've lost everything and I've lost everyone. I did everything from Saul, uh, that Saul wanted of me. Everything. I was a faithful leader. I, I had a wife. I lost her too. I had a great counselor in Samuel. I couldn't even stay with him. I had a best friend who I shared my life with and now he's gone too. And then I acted like a madman in front of Goliath's king like what is happening with me? I'm losing it. I don't get it. David had hit rock bottom. Rock bottom. And the pain was deep. You know one of the psalms that David wrote while he was in the cave was Psalm 142, and from what he says, you can actually feel the deep pain, you can see it, you can see the pain that he was in, some some verses from 142 says, I cry to the Lord, I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy, in the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me, look and see, there is no one at my right hand, no one's concerned for me, I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. Listen to my cry, for I'm desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they're too strong for me. Set, me. set me free from my prison so that I can praise your name. Wow. Have any of you felt like that before? Do any of you feel like that this morning? David was in deep despair was hopeless. There was no escape, and he had nothing left. And by the way, it's actually important to note here that that David had done nothing wrong. Okay, remember that he was a man after God's own heart. He had integrity. He, He was dependable, and he was a model of humility. He was doing everything right in the eyes of God, but it's all backfiring now. He's done nothing to deserve such treatment. He was at rock bottom, and and he had done nothing wrong. See, oftentimes when, when we're at these lowest points in our journey, one of the biggest questions we ask and yell out is, where's God in all this mess? Where is he? Does God not understand what I'm going through? He seems so far away. This doesn't make sense to me. You know, it is, it's actually very difficult to look through the veil of life's weird and strange and painful moments and realize that God is actually shaping you during these times. He is. He was doing it for David. Why, why wouldn't he do it for you? Let's take a closer look at what was going on with this young king. So as David was sitting down in the cave and reflecting on all that's happened, all that he's lost, little did he know that God was actually right in the middle of it all. He was there. See, David had significant status and and relationships in his life that had all been stripped away from him. You see, David had never really gone through great diversity before. He was going through life and it was great and and now he's experiencing life in a whole new way and it's not pretty. But God had a plan for greatness for David. But for David to be one of the greatest kings of Israel, he first needed to be shaped by his father's hand. Before David became the most famous king of Israel, there were things he had to learn about his own character and about God's character. And it was only the crucible of adversity that could teach him these things. See, David had built up a great system around him whom, with whom he could lean on for support that would take him through the good times and the tough times. But through the stripping away of his relationships and his stat, losing his status and self-respect, the Lord was showing David that, that there was ultimately only one person whom he could completely rely on this life. Only one person who, who, who he could lean on in this life. It wasn't his position. It wasn't his, his spouse. It wasn't his best friend or even his spiritual father. And it wasn't even himself. No. The only one he could lean on was the Lord. All of our relationships, all of David's relationships and positions in life, they come and they go. They're temporary. See, David needed to learn that, that the Lord himself was the rock upon which he could stand. And it was like the father was saying to David in the cave, David, everyone else is gone. Everything's gone in your life. There's nothing left. He so says, you feel all alone and, and insecure and you're scared for your life. David, I've not left you. See, David, I'm still here. I'm always here, David. Lean upon me, David. Look to me. See, there's no one else who can ultimately be that support for you but me, says the Lord. Now, that didn't mean David didn't need relationships in his life, but they could never take the Lord's place upon whom he would stand. Never. That's the same for you and me. Now, these fragile, these moments can be quite fragile in our lives. They were quite fragile for David you know what, when everything is, is stripped away from us and, and, and when those things that we've leaned upon are, are taken away, we feel alone and, and, and desperate. The enemy has a heyday. Okay, you see, Satan loves to take advantage of us when we're down. That's his job. No exceptions. He so says he would love nothing more than for you to believe the lie that says you're done. Okay, you can't get out of this mess Look, it's your fault that you're in this mess. Look at all that you've done. Look what you've ruined. But God says, well, well, hold on a second here. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. But God says, I have come to give you life, and abundant life in the Spirit. You may not see that now. You're in your cave, but that doesn't mean your life is done. It actually means your life's being rerouted. I have a plan for you, says the Father. So now is a time for you to start something new. I love you and will never leave you. This is not your end. It's the beginning of something great. Do you know that in every dark cave we find ourselves in demands a response from us? We will respond in one way or another. David responded. Life's darkest moments require us to respond. How are, you going to, how are you going to respond? See, how we respond in the storm defines our character and determines our future. It does. See, I want us to notice something significant here. See, even though David was sitting there alone, he was desperate and in despair. Even though he had conquered the largest giants of the land and was now facing the even bigger giants of his soul, we see the heart of the man that God saw from the very beginning. In the midst of the lowest moment David experienced in his life, in the deepest and most desperate spot he had ever experienced, and where everything had been taken away from him, where he was alone and lost, uh, he, who would have blamed him if he tossed in his towel and said, "You know what? I'm done. Forget this. I'm finished." With all the lies he could have believed, David never lost sight of the Father. Never. In that same psalm he wrote, Psalm 142, he cries out to the Lord to deliver him. See, he still proclaims the Lord's goodness to him, and he says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watches over my way. In verse 5, he cries to the Lord, saying, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. This is amazing. What a response. See, David never lost sight of the nature and goodness of God. He never lost sight of that. He claimed his promises and he worshiped the Father in the midst of his darkest moments. His eyes were fixed on the one who knew all things. That, my friends, is the response of someone whose heart is after the very heart of God. David's been brought to the place where God can truly begin to shape him uh, and use him for his purposes. It's in the deepest and darkest time of David's life where we see the kind of character that David had. Yes, he had things to learn, many things to learn. But we also see the kind of worshiper that David was. David never gave up on the Lord, he never threw in the towel. Though it was painful and didn't make sense, he still proclaimed the Lord was his refuge in his darkest moment of his life. That is amazing. Look what happens next in verses 1 through 3. (laughs) When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. Wow. About 400 men were with him there. And then from there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, hey, would you let my father and mother come and and hang out with you until I learn what God will do for me? See, David went from a man who was in the abyss of despair to a place where, where his brothers and his family and other misfits came to him and gathered around him and looked to him to be their new commander. Now I'm sure that there were some moments, brief moments there, where David was thinking, "God, are you kidding me? My family's here now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just so you know, God, I'm actually not in a great headspace uh, right now. Uh, I don't feel great about myself. Uh, I, I kind of want to just be alone. You know, that's how we feel when we're in dark cave. We want to be alone. We want to be by ourselves. We want to wallow in our pity." I'm not in the great space. I'm not feeling good. My brothers who made fun of me are here too. My dad who never really paid attention to me came. Like, come on, God. What are you doing? I'm sure David, the cave dweller, didn't want them there. But God brought them anyway. God brought them. And at this very strategic moment in David's life, God was recalibrating David. He was redefining David. David. He was refining David. He was giving David a new beginning, even though he probably didn't realize it at the time. See, all those people who were aching under the rule of Saul came to find David to be their new leader. It's actually quite amazing to see what God was doing behind the scenes in David's life in these dark moments. God was rerouting David's life. These men would be trained under David in that cave, And these same men would become mighty in battles ahead and would eventually hold high places when David took the throne. And even more than that, David ended up turning the lives of these rebellious and dissatisfied, discontented men into men of order and discipline and great character and the mightiest men of Israel that you'll read later in in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. Through the rest of chapter 22 and, and 23, we see David who's constantly inquiring of the Lord for direction and where to go to avoid falling into the hands of Saul. And I think one of the most profound things we can learn from David in this time is that though his life was being rerouted and and he felt worthless and useless, though he felt mistreated and was in deep despair, he still turned his face to the Lord. And he, leaned, and he learned that that was ultimately the only place that he could lean. So David wrote at least two more psalms while in those caves, but for the sake of time, I'll have you read those on your own. Write them down. Psalm 57 and Psalm 34. Read them in that order. And when you read those, I want you to see the progression of a man who, who was once at the point in the cave, flat on his face in desperation, when he wrote Psalm 142. To where he was then emotionally when he wrote Psalm 57, Psalm 34. During those psalms, the psalms he wrote, he actually says that David sang and made music and said that he blessed the Lord at all times. And that his praise would always be on his lips and he urged his readers to taste and see the Lord is good all the time. All the time. Folks, He wrote these psalms when he was in the cave. That blows my mind. This is truly a man after God's heart. Though David was still on the run from Saul, he was a man who was being rerouted. He was given a new beginning. And he was a man who never lost sight of the Lord and cultivated a life of worship. He worshiped the Lord as a shepherd boy. He worshiped the Lord in conquering giants and honoring the king. He worshiped the Lord through winning battles and worshiped the Lord while living on the run when his life was in danger. And he worshiped the Lord in the lowest moments of his life. Now, some of you might be asking the question, so how did David go from wallowing in his self-pity, sitting in a cave, lost, confused, hurting, lonely, hungry, feeling alone and defeated, to a man who was emotionally available to be a commander of another army. How did David's attitude become available for such change? I think there's many things, but there's a couple that I'd like to mention here and I think are worth looking at. I think David was brought to, to such a point of deep pain and hurt and desperation that David actually admitted his need for the Lord. See, when everything is stripped away from us and there's nothing else left, and with David's soul left naked and bare before the living God, he had nowhere to run. He couldn't even look in the mirror from being embarrassed, dancing in front of that enemy's king. Sometimes it's not until we hit rock bottom and are hurting enough do we admit our need for God. Sometimes we have to go to the places where hearts burst open in pain before we actually admit the need we have for God. See, David heard enough to admit his need for the Lord. And I also think David was a man who put unwavering trust in the Lord. As much as David was loyal to his best friend Jonathan, he was even more loyal in trusting the Lord. There are dozens of other Psalms that David wrote where he talks about the trust that he had in his father in heaven. David had a steadfast trust. It never wavered. David had seen God's faithfulness in the past, and as someone whose heart chases after God's heart, David trusted that God had his best interests in mind. That's what he did. Even in the midst of such strange and disorientating circumstances, David trusted the Lord. Nothing changed that trust. So it didn't matter what, what storms came David's way. He, he trusted the Lord during his most disruptive and darkest moments. I had, I've shared with you in the past of the story when my family and I came back from Mexico. We were missionaries down there for six or seven years. And we came back and, during a big storm in our lives. Emotional storm. Life didn't make sense and I, I came home and I was struggling with life and ministry, trying to figure out what the Lord was doing, but I had learned a powerful lesson during that big dark cave moment in my life. I was confused, like I said, with life and ministry and I, I felt alone and hurt and disoriented and I remember one of my conversations I had with the Father and I, I asked him, okay, what do you want to teach me during these dark days? What is it that I need to learn more about myself and more about you, Lord? What, what is it? And he said, I want you to trust me. And I'm thinking, what? Trust you? I actually think you let me down. By the way, sometimes our emotions get in the way of the truth of who God is, okay? I've said that in the past. I'm gonna say it again. Sometimes our emotions make us believe that God is actually something he's not. He's always faithful. He never abandons you. He's always there. Even if your emotions say something different. He's always there. And he never abandons you. So I had this conversation. He says, Trust me, Nathan. I'm thinking, I don't know. Trust me. And then he says, Trust me with all your heart, Nathan. Don't lean on your own understanding of what's going on in your life. And in these dark cave moments you're experiencing and every other moment in your life, I want you to acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. Whoa. Whoa. Those verses took on a deeper meaning for me in those moments. You see, trusting God is not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It can be risky. It can be hard and difficult sometimes. Why? Because the Father actually says, trust me with all your heart. Not just a little bit. He wants all of it. All of it to trust Him. He says, don't just trust me when when your life's going good and and not just through difficult times. Okay? Okay? Trust me when your life is out of control and life doesn't make sense. Trust me in your darkest moments. Trust me in your most painful moments that you walk through. I don't want you to just trust me between point A and point B because this is where you can make sense of life. This is where things are logical. These are easy to trust times for the Lord. The Lord is saying, actually, I want you to trust me out here because these are the The messy times. These are the times that don't make sense. These are the the cave dwelling times when it's beyond your limit of understanding. The Lord says, trust me there. Jesus said the same thing to Peter, actually. He says, I want you to jump out of the boat. Start walking on the water in the midst of the storm. Trust me. He's asking you, trust me. Trust me in the middle of the storm. Don't just trust me when life makes sense. Trust me when life doesn't make sense. Because you can't lean on your own understanding. It's dark, it's messy, you won't get it. But I get it. I can see right through it. And it's how you handle living in the shadows of life's hardest and darkest moments. And how you respond during those times will define your character. And will determine your future. It's true. This was the same thing God wanted from David. David put his trust in God even when his life didn't make sense. God didn't want David to just trust him when, his, when he was defeating giants and winning military battles. He wanted David to trust him in his darkest moments. You See, the darkest and most difficult times of our lives will always reveal our truest colors. They will. It will reveal what our foundation has been made of. When everything else fades away, we will see what kind of foundation we've built. When our heart is laid bare and we're left with nothing left. Where where do you look? What what do you do? What's your response? It says, where do you look when you find out that you have cancer? Where are you turning right now with the loss of job that you're experiencing? Where do you look when your dreams have been shattered or, or where do you turn when you find out your spouse struggles with this addiction or, or that addiction? Or where are you turning right now if your marriage is on the rocks? What do you, where are you looking? Where do you turn when you've failed that exam or you've bombed that interview you so desperately wanted for that job? Where are you turning when you're facing financial crisis? Maybe your soul's been living in dark and dark caves for years because of anxiety and and, and depression from your past. How, how are you managing that? Where are, where are your eyes looking? How are you allowing God to shape you and, and during these difficult and discouraging times? Does your heart turn to the Father and worship? As the, uh, as the worship team comes up here, come on up, guys. Allow me to add kind of a, a by-the-way moment here. Um, if you know that you've put your, yourself in your own trials and dark days because of, because of some sin that you're battling with, know that the Father loves you, okay, and has created you for greatness as well because there is no shame or condemnation in Christ Jesus, amen? But I urge you, Right now, I urge you to stop hiding the secret. Okay, repent, ask for forgiveness from God and from others if necessary, and then embrace the amazing love and grace from the Father. There's so much freedom in the spirit and so much freedom emotionally when we bring stuff that's hidden in the darkness to light. People, uh, we believe in a God who is light, He comes into your darkness and brings light to the dark places. Now, hear this. It doesn't matter how dark a cave is right now. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the cave or how desperate your situation or how deep the abyss of despair is. We can press in and we can press through these lowest moments in our lives because we believe in a God who never abandons us. Because we believe in a God who's always looking out for what's best for us, always, always even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. His love never changes. Receive that. We are royal princes and princesses, even in the dark caves. And it's because we are royal people that we can respond to him and worship him like David did. Even in the middle of the pain, whatever situation you're in. Now, I don't know why you're You're experiencing what you are. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. But I ask you, where's your heart turning in your darkest moments? Maybe you're there right now. Where does your gaze turn when the world seems to be falling in on you? Run to the Father. Run to the Father. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal the Father's love for you and He will in crazier ways than you've ever imagined before. That's what He does. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you what the Father wants you to learn. Ask Him to take you to deeper places of intimacy with the Father, even in your cave experience. That's where we need Him the most. Maybe God wants to unlock new dreams and visions for you in your future. Maybe He wants to dust off those and restore those old dreams that he gave you so long ago. Uh, Regardless of what's happening and why you're going through that, God is shaping you in your darkest moment. He's refining you in your darkest moments. This is not your end. It's merely the beginning of something new, of something great. And he's molding you into greatness in the midst of your darkness. See, when David was at his lowest moments, he sang and he worshiped the Father. When we take our eyes off ourselves and our situation and when we turn our gaze to the Father in heaven, what does he do? He fills us with hope. He fills us with his peace. He gives us a new perspective and he reminds us of our kingdom identity and our kingdom destiny. And he reminds us that he's right there in the middle of the cave with you walking with you, breathing life into you. Jordan and the team are going to lead us an amazing song uh, called Even When It Hurts, I Will Praise You. Oh, I love that. If you find yourself in a dark cave this morning, for whatever reason, let me suggest that you make this song your anthem song during these moments or that you're in. And by the way, at 9 a.m., uh, a lady came up and talked to me and, and said she'd been in a dark cave for years. She'd been prayed over last week for healing, physical healing. Her skull had actually missed, their bones had been misplaced and she prayed for healing. God healed her and moved her skull back into place. In the midst of the cave experience, God is healing her. In the midst, Yeah. don't lose hope, put your faith in the Father. He'll breathe life into you. He's healing you. He's repairing you, restoring you for greatness. Even when it hurts, we will praise the Lord.